Book Three, Chapter Six of Under the Witch's Moon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Under the Witch's Moon by Nathan Galazier. Book Three, Chapter Six. A Meeting of Ghosts. A voice whose prompting he could not resist impelled Tristan, after his parting from the monk of Cluny, to follow the Grand Chamberlain, who had taken the direction of the Pincian Hill. His retreating form became more phantom-like in the misty moonlight, as viewed from the ramparts of the Emperor's tomb. Nevertheless, mindful of the parting words of the monk, and filled with dire misgivings, Tristan set out at once. True to his determination, he procured a small lantern and a piece of coarse thick cloth, which he concealed under his cloak. Then, by a solitary pathway, he followed the direction he had seen Basil take. The bridge of San Angelo was deserted, and not a human being was abroad. After a time he arrived at a small copse, where Basil's form had disappeared from sight. Clearing away the underbrush, Tristan came to what seemed a fissure in a wall, which cast a tremendous shadow over the surrounding trees and bushes. Creeping in as far as he dared, he paused, then, with mingled emotions of expectancy and apprehension, which affected him so powerfully that for a moment he was hardly master of his actions, he slowly and carefully uncovered his lantern, struck two flints, and lighted the wick. His first glance was intuitively directed to the cavity that opened beneath him. Of Basil he saw no trace, notwithstanding he had seen him enter the cavity at the point where he himself had entered. Ere long, however, he heard a thin, long-drawn sound, now louder, now softer, now approaching, now receding, now verging towards shrillness, now returning to a faint, gentle swell. This strange, unearthly music was interrupted by a succession of long, deep, rolling sounds, which rose grandly about the fissures above, like prisoned thunderbolts striving to escape. Roused by the mystery of the place and the uncertainty of his own purpose, Tristan was for a moment roused to a pitch of such excitement that almost threatened to unsteady his reason. Conscious of the danger attending his venture, and the fearful legends of invisible beings and worlds, he was constrained to believe that demons were hovering around him in viewless assemblies, calling to him in unearthly voices, in an unknown tongue, to proceed upon his enterprise and take the consequences of his daring. Thus he remained for a time, fearful of advancing or retracing his steps, looking fixedly into the trackless gloom, and listening to the strange sounds which, alternately rising and falling, still floated around him. The fitful light of his lantern suddenly fell upon a shape that seemed to creep through one of the stone galleries. In the unsteady gleam it appeared from the distance like a gnome wandering through the bowels of the earth, or a forsaken spirit from purgatory. Had it been but a trick of his imagination, or had his mortal eyes seen a denizen of the beyond? At last he aroused himself, trimmed with careful hand his guiding wick, and set forth to penetrate the great rift. He moved on, in an oblique direction, for several feet, now creeping over the tops of the foundation arches, now skirting the extremities of the protrusions in the ruined brickwork, now descending into dark, slimy, rubbish-choked chasms, until the rift suddenly diminished in all directions. For a moment Tristan paused and considered. He was almost tempted to retrace his steps, abandoning the purpose upon which he had come. Before him stretched interminable gloom brooding, 
he knew not over what caverns and caves inhabited by denizens of night he moved onward with less caution than he had formerly employed when suddenly and without warning a considerable portion of brickwork fell with lightning suddenness from above it missed him else he should never had known what happened but some stray bricks hurled him prostrate on the foundation arch dislocating his right shoulder and shattering his lantern into atoms a groan of anguish rose to his lips he was left in impenetrable darkness for a short time tristan lay as one stunned in his dark solitude then trying to raise himself he began to experience in all their severity the fierce spasms the dull gnawings that were the miserable consequences of the injury he had sustained his arm lay numbed by his side and for the space of some moments he had neither the strength nor the will to even move the sound limbs of his body but gradually the anguish of his body awakened a wilder and strange distemper in his mind and then the two agonies physical and mental rioted over him in fierce rivalry divesting him of all thoughts save such as were aroused by their own agency at length however the pangs seemed to grow less frequent he hardly knew now from what part of his body they proceeded insensibly his faculties of thinking and feeling grew blank he remained for a time in a mysterious unrefreshing repose of body and mind and at last his disordered senses left unguided and unrestrained became the victims of a sudden and terrible illusion the black darkness about him appeared after an interval to be dawning into a dull misty light like the reflection on clouds which threaten a thunderstorm at the close of day soon this atmosphere seemed to be crossed and streaked with a fantastic trellis work of white seething vapour then the mass of brickwork which had fallen in grew visible enlarged to an enormous bulk and endowed with the power of locomotion by which it mysteriously swelled and shrank raised and depressed itself without quitting for a moment its position near him and then from its dark and toiling surface there rose a long array of dusky shapes which twined themselves about the misty trellis work above and took the palpable forms of human countenances there were infantile faces wreathed with grave worms that hung round them like locks of slimy hair aged faces dabbled with gore and slashed with wounds youthful faces seamed with livid channels along which ran unceasing tears lovely faces distorted into the fixed coma of despairing gloom not one of these countenances exactly resembled the other each was stigmatized by a revolting character of its own yet however deformed their other features the eyes of all were preserved unimpaired speechless and bodiless they floated in unceasing myriads up to the fantastic trellis work which seemed to swell its wild proportions to receive them there they clustered in their goblin amphitheatre and fixedly and silently they glared down without exception on the intruder's face meanwhile the walls at the side began to gleam out with a light of their own making jaded boundaries to the midway scenes of phantom faces then the rifts in their surface widened and disgorged misshapen figures of priests and idols of the olden time which came forth in every hideous deformity of aspect mocking at the faces of the trellis work while behind and over the whole soared shapes of gigantic darkness from this ghastly assemblage there came not the slightest sound 
the stillness of a dead and ruined world was about him possessed of appalling mysteries veiled in quivering vapors and glooming shadows days years centuries seemed to pass as tristan lay gazing up in a trance of horror into this realm of peopled and ghostly darkness at last he staggered to his feet he must find an egress or go mad slowly raising himself upon his uninjured arm he looked vainly about for the slightest glimmer of light not a single object was discernible about him darkness hemmed him in in rayless and triumphant obscurity the first agony of the pain having resolved itself into a dull changeless sensation the vision that had possessed his senses was now in a vast and shadowy form present only to his memory filling the darkness with fearful recollections and urging him on in a restless headlong yearning to effect his escape from this lonely and unhallowed sepulchre i must pass into light i must breathe the air of the sky or i shall perish in this vault he muttered in a hoarse voice which the fitful echoes mocked by throwing his words as it were to each other even to the faintest whisper of its last recipient gradually and painfully he commenced his meditated retreat tristan's brain still whirled with the emotion that had so entirely overwhelmed his mind as staggering through the interminable gloom he set forth on his toilsome perilous journey suddenly however he paused bewildered in the darkness he had no doubt mistaken the direction and a gleam of light streaming through the fissure of the rock informed him that there were others in this abode of darkness beside himself had he come upon the object of his quest for a moment tristan's heart stood still then with all the caution which the darkness the danger of secret pitfalls and the risk of discovery suggested he crept toward the crevice until the glow gradually increased from the bowels of the earth as it were voices were now audible they seemed to issue from the depths of a cavern directly below where tristan stood groping his way carefully along the wall of rock he at last reached the spot whence the light issued and presently started at finding himself before an aperture just wide enough to admit the body of a single man a sort of perpendicular ladder was formed in the wall of narrow juttings of stone and below these was the rock chamber from which the voices proceeded it was some time ere the confusion of his ideas and the darkness allowed tristan to form any notion of the character of the locality when it suddenly dawned upon him that he had strayed into a place regarding which he had heard and wondered much the catacombs of st calixtus this revelation was by no means reassuring although the presence of others held out hope that he would discover an exit from this shadowy labyrinth for a moment tristan remained as one transfixed as he gazed from his lofty pinnacle into the shadowy vault below he saw a stone table lighted with a single taper in the centre of which lay an unsheathed dagger and an object the exact character of which he could not determine in the half-gloom also a brazen bowl about a dozen men in cloaks with black visors stood around and one taller than the rest the gleam of whose eyes shone through the slits of his mask appeared to be concluding an address to his companions the words were indistinguishable to tristan but when the speaker had concluded a dark murmur arose which subsided anon then those present crowded around the stone table the taper was momentarily obscured by the intervening throng and tristan could not see the ceremony 
though he could hear the muttered formula of an oath they seemed to be taking. What he did see caused the chill of death to run through his veins. The group again receding, the man bared his left arm, raised the dagger on high, and let it descend. Tristan saw the blood weltering slowly from the self-inflicted wound, trickling drop by drop into the brazen bowl, which another muffled figure was holding. Then each one present repeated the ceremony, he who was presenting the bowl being the last to mingle his blood with that of the rest. Then another stepped forth, and, raising the bloody knife on high, stabbed the object that lay upon the table. Some mysterious signs passed between them, meaningless words that struck Tristan's ear with the vague memory of a dimly remembered dream. Then he who seemed to be the speaker raised the object on high, and walking to a niche, concealed in the shadows, placed it in what seemed to Tristan a fissure in the rock. Like ghosts returning to the bowels of the earth they glided away, silently, soundlessly, and soon the silence of death hovered once again in the rock caverns of the catacombs of St. Calixtus. In breathless suspense, utterly oblivious of the injury he had sustained, Tristan gazed into the deserted rock-chamber where the dim light of the taper still flickered in a faint breath of air wafted from without. Hardly did the hearts of the Magi, when the vision of the star in the east first dawned upon their eyes, experience a transport more vivid than that which animated Tristan when he found his terrible stress relieved. But almost immediately a reaction set in, and a dire misgiving extinguished the quick ray of hope that had lighted his heart luring him on to escape from these caverns of death. By a strange mischance they had neglected to extinguish the taper. They might return at any moment, and, his presence discovered, the doom in store for the intruder on their secret rites was not a matter of surmise. Composing himself to patience, Tristan waited, glaring as a caged tiger at the gates whose opening or closing might spell freedom or doom. At last, after a considerable lapse of time, moments that seemed eternity, he resolved to hazard the descent. Slowly and painfully moving with the pace and perseverance of a turtle, he writhed downward upon his unguided course, until he reached the bottom of the cavern. Breathless with exhaustion after his breakneck descent, he waited in the shadow of a projecting rock. When the deep sepulchral silence remained undisturbed, he advanced toward the fissure in the rock where one of the muffled company had placed the mysterious object. Tristan's quest was not at once rewarded. The shelving in the rock cavern, being irregular and almost indistinguishable, offered no clue to the mystery. A great fear was upon him, but he was determined to discover the meaning of it all. Suddenly he paused. A small cabinet of sandalwood, concealed behind the jutting stone, had caught his eye. It was painted to resemble the rock, and the untrained eye would not linger upon it. A small keyhole was revealed, but the key had been taken away. Tristan stood irresolute, with straining eyes and listening ear. Not a sound was audible. Even the piping of the night wind in the rock fissures seemed to have died to silence. With quick resolution he inserted one of the sharp-edged flints and gave a wrench. When the top receded he could not repress an outcry. A chill coursed coldly through his veins. His breath came and went in sobs, as from one half-drowned. He only glanced at what was before him for the fraction of a second, but he knew what had made the very soul within him shudder and his bones grind, as if in mortal agony. 
It was as though hell itself had opened the gates. He staggered back in a paroxysm of horror. With a grim set face, Tristan closed the top of the cabinet and replaced it on the rocky ledge. Thus he stood, his face buried in his hands. Could the all-seeing God permit such an outrage and let the perpetrators live? But there was no time for reflection. At any moment one of the muffled phantoms might return, and indeed he thought he heard steps approaching through one of the rock galleries. He crouched in breathless, agonized suspense, for it did not suffer him longer in these caverns of crime and death. He dimly remembered the direction in which the nocturnal company had departed, and after some research he discovered a narrow corridor that seemed to slope upward through the gloom. His lantern having been broken to atoms, the taper held out little promise of life beyond a brief space of time during which he must find the entrance of the cavern, if he did not wish to meet a fate even worse than death in the event of discovery. Grimly resolved, Tristan raised the flickering taper and entered the gallery on his left. The Stygian gloom almost extinguished the feeble light, though he noted every object he passed, every turn in the tortuous ascent. After some time, which seemed eternity, he at last perceived a dim glow at the extremity of the gallery, and soon found himself before the outer cavity of the stone wall, in a region of the city that seemed miles removed from the place where he had entered. It was near daybreak. The moon shone faintly in the grey heavens, and a vaporous mist was sinking from shapeless clouds that hovered over the course of the Tiber. Tristan looked about his solitary lurking-place but beheld no human being in its lonely recesses. Then his eyes fixed themselves with a shudder upon the glooming vault from which he had made his escape. He was on the track of a terrible mystery, a mystery which shunned the light of day and of heaven. He must fathom it, whatever the risk. A strange new energy possessed him. His life at last seemed to have a purpose. He was no longer a rolling stone. There was work ahead. His future course stood out clearly defined, as Tristan turned his back upon the catacombs of St. Calixtus, and took the direction of the Aventine. To Odo, the monk of Cluny, he must confide the terrible discovery he had made in the mephitic caverns of the catacombs. To him he must turn for counsel, of which he stood sorely in need, and in some way which he could not account for to himself, Tristan felt as if the fate of Helene was bound up in these dreadful mysteries. At first the thought seemed absurd, but somehow it gained upon him and began to add new weight to his burden. Could he but see her? Could he but have speech with her? A great dread seized him at the thought of what might be her fate at the present hour. What would she think of him who seemed to have abandoned her in the hour of dire distress, when she needed him above all men on earth? Did her intuition, did her heart inform her that he had roamed the city for days in the hope of finding her? Had her heart informed her that, like a spirit judged and condemned, he found neither rest nor peace in his vain efforts to discover her abode? Was she sinking under her loneliness, perishing from uncertainty of her fate, doubts of his allegiance? To what perils and miseries had he exposed her? And to what end? He groaned in despair as his mind reverted from the dark present to the happy past—a past forever gone. A faint streak of light crept across the east, permeating the gray dawn with roseate hues as Tristan re-entered the Emperor's tomb to partake of an hour or two of much-needed rest, ere the business of the new-born day claimed him its own. Chapter 
End of Book Three, Chapter Six.